maybe now is a good time to sort of say a, a really big public thank you uh, to Dave. Uh, Dave's been down here every week, uh, recording with me, recording with the worship team, then compiling it all together, then uploading it uh, online. And I know lots of you uh, have really appreciated the online service, uh, but Dave has put in hours and hours and hours of work, and that's been a real cost for him and for Julie and the kids. Uh, so just a huge thank you to Dave uh, for doing that. Um, but it is good uh, to have lots of different faces. Um, and I am going to try and keep in mind as, as we go also, those of you who are watching at home and are not, not able yet to be, be with us in the building. Um, but maybe I want to introduce kind of the little mini-series that we're going to do uh, for the next few weeks. Um, I want to think about uh, the early church and the book of Acts. And uh, hopefully we'll get, a, get an image up on the screen here in a second. Um, the... The Christian church uh, in the beginning in the book of Acts was uh, maybe a very dramatic beginning. We could say it was born in fire. Um, we read the amazing story in Acts 2 uh, of the spirit coming like a wind, coming like tongues of fire. Uh, an incredibly dramatic story. The people speak in strange languages. Uh, Peter says these are the days that the prophets dreamed of. God is now pouring out his spirit on all people. And 3,000 people repent and believe and are baptized. So the, the church starts with a bang, with fire, uh, with uh, incredible drama. And I guess as you're reading the story, you then wonder what will happen next after that, that beginning. And then we turn, we turn the page or we, we move on down to the next verse. And this is what we read. Immediately after the 3,000 come into faith, it says this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. Uh, that's the what I've got up there is uh, the really literal translation. All of them have the definite article, which I find really striking. The apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, the prayers. Um, and maybe um, after all the drama and the fire of, of the beginning of the church, those things can seem kind of quite ordinary and quite quiet. Um, maybe a little bit dull even after all the drama. Um, and yet I want to suggest sort of right at the beginning, these four things are absolutely essential. If the fire of the spirit is not to fade away, if the church is to remain awake and alive and healthy and flourishing, then these four things are absolutely core and key and critical unessential. Um, I'm always struck by the, the thought that the, the church can look very different in different times and places. So you can imagine the church and think of a kind of charismatic house fellowship or a big cathedral with liturgy or an underground church in China or like all, all kinds of shapes that the church can take. Um, and yet these four things I think must be present for the church to be the church and for the church to be kind of vibrant and thriving. Um, it seemed like maybe a good place for us to go at this moment in time. Right, right now, we can't do many of the things that we would usually do as church, and everything about our church life is kind of disrupted and out of kilter. Um, and so it kind of seems like a really good time to go back to basics together and think about these essentials that lie at the very heart of church life and have done from the very beginning. Um, so that's what we're going to do for a few weeks, think about these four things. Um, and it says, uh, if you 
the, the language here says the early Christians devoted themselves to these things. And I've been thinking a lot about that, that word. We don't, we don't use the word devotion or devoted very much anymore. Um, I think devotion involves passion. It involves strong feeling. If you're devoted to something, there's real, uh, heart and emotion, uh, uh, behind it. But it also involves commitment. And so some translations here say they continued steadfastly in these things. And so I think devotion has both those things. There's passion and heart, but there's also this kind of dogged, steadfast commitment. Um, and it, it, it kind of strikes me, I guess, that we need both that passion without steadfastness soon fizzles out, whereas steadfastness without passion becomes kind of dull and stodgy and heavy. And so devotion contains both the passion and the commitment. We need, we need a kind of passionate steadfastness, a kind of wholehearted commitment. And that's what these early Christians had. They were devoted to these things. Um, and I guess the, the question we want to kind of kick off with is, are, are you, could that be said of you and I? Are we devoted to these things? Are we passionately committed to them? Um, maybe the, the uncomfortable way sometimes to ask the question is to ask, would someone observing my life and watching my life see clearly that I am passionately committed to these things? Um, Maybe I've been thinking about this. Uh, I've had the, the pleasure of uh, conducting a couple of weddings in the last few weeks. Um, but sometimes, maybe not so much in our culture, maybe more in America, um, sometimes people who've been married for years uh, have a ceremony where they renew their vows. Um, and I don't know if you think that's a beautiful thing or a bit cheesy. I don't know, don't know what you think about that. Um, but I think what it reflects is an awareness that as time goes on, when you've been married for a long time, we can forget a little bit the the power of the promises that we made and we can become a bit complacent and we can take each other for granted and kind of live side by side uh, a little unaware. And so renewing your vows is a way of saying, I want to choose again what I chose before and I want to rededicate myself and commit myself again. Um, and so I reckon w- whether you have a ceremony to do that or not, it's a good thing to do in marriage to rededicate yourself, to recommit yourself to those promises. And maybe I want to suggest it's also a good thing to do in church life, to renew your vows, to choose again what you chose before, to devote yourself again to these essentials so that our church life can flourish. Um, and so maybe you can see this little series as kind of a, an invitation to you, to all of us, um, to, to recommit ourselves to renew our vows as a church uh, and renew our devotion uh, to these things. Um, and two, two really practical things to say about that as we begin. One is that it requires all of us to be devoted to these things. The church doesn't flourish if it's just the leaders who devote themselves to these things or just a few super keen people. Uh, who do it. It needs the whole church. I'm looking at the camera to include all of you at home. Um, it needs everybody um, to devote themselves to these things. And the second really practical thing is that it requires some cost. Um, we all say, I think, uh, if someone asks us, we want to be part of a church that is flourishing and dynamic and healthy. 
And yet we've, we've got to acknowledge that doesn't happen without each of us giving ourselves to each other and to the, our life together with a kind of costly devotion. So there's a, there's a good kind of counting the cost with this. It, it needs all of us. And it, it involves a certain amount of cost for us to be devoted uh, to our fellowship and to, to these things. So that's just the kind of beginning to reflect a wee bit on the language of devotion and these four things. We're going to think for the next few weeks um, about, about them in turn. But we're starting here with the first one. Uh, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Maybe we wonder immediately even what, what does that actually mean? Um, and I guess it means this, that the early Christians in the book of Acts, this church in Jerusalem, uh, didn't yet have the New Testament. Um, it hadn't yet, most of it hadn't been written. Certainly it hadn't been compiled. Uh, but the apostles who were those key leaders in the early church, most of them eyewitnesses of Jesus himself, were traveling around the churches teaching about Jesus, telling the story of Jesus, and preaching about the message of the cross and the resurrection. Um, and they were also starting at this time to write down their teaching. And so those writings, the Gospels and the letters of Paul and Peter and John, were starting to circulate in the church. Um, and the early Christians devoted themselves to that kind of core teaching that was starting to be passed around both verbally and in written form. Um, and so it's not that big a leap, I don't think, to see that why for us, uh, for you and I 2,000 years later, to be devoted to the apostles' teaching primarily means being passionately committed to the scriptures. Um, and I think we can include in that both the Old Testament, which was the Bible Jesus read and the Bible the apostles read, and also the New Testament, which is that deposit of the teaching of the apostles of Jesus, uh, which they didn't have yet in the early church, but we now have the privilege of having in our homes and in our hands. Um, it's so, so easy for us to take the gift of the Bible for granted. Maybe in the same way that we can take marriage for granted when we've been married for a long time. Um, but if our lives and our church life are going to be healthy, are going to blaze with the life and power and beauty of God, then we need a passionate, deeply committed devotion to the word of God, to the message of Jesus, to the scriptures. Um, so I want to think about that with you this morning. Um, what would it look like for you and I to be passionately devoted to the message of the Bible? Um, and maybe straight away I want to say it's going to involve something more than a weekly sermon like this on a Sunday morning, or even a weekly Bible study, or even a daily quiet time. It's going to involve, I think, more than those things. Um, I want to point to a verse I love uh, in Colossians 3. Uh, I, I, love, I love this language from Paul, Colossians 3, verse 16. Paul says, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly. Um, I, love, I find that language really evocative. It's, um, in, in the message translation, it says, let the word of Christ have the run of the house. Give it plenty of room in your lives. Isn't that beautiful? Um, so immediately you can see this is, this is more than just reading a bit of Bible from time to time. This is about the living word of God taking up residence in our lives, making itself at home, 
kind of filling and infiltrating every corner of our daily living. The living message of Jesus getting into every corner of our lives, becoming part of the atmosphere, becoming part of the air we breathe. It's about being soaked in scripture and saturated in the message uh, of scripture. Um, and so again, I wonder, what, what would that look like? Uh, maybe I want you to go away this morning and think about this. What would that look like in your home for the word of God to dwell richly in your house? Uh, what would it look like in our church life for the, the message of Christ to have the run of the house and to have plenty of room um, in everything that we do? And I'd love you to start thinking about that and wondering and imagining what does it look like for the word of Christ to dwell richly among us? Um, and as soon as you start thinking about that, I think, I think one thing that's really clear, um, is that we all, again, that we all play a part in this. And actually that verse in Colossians 3 goes on like this. Paul says, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. Um, I wonder, can you see immediately how the arrows here are going in every direction, right? So the, the ministry of the word, if we can use a kind of big, big solid phrase, doesn't just happen here in this moment on a Sunday morning from the pulpit outward to all of you, though it does happen here, but it also happens multi-directionally from anyone in the church to anyone in the church, and it can happen at any time and in any place. Um, and there's something about that that I find uh, kind of really exciting. Like, it's good that we all gather on a Sunday morning around the word. And I want to keep encouraging you to do that. And preachers have a part to play, and I'm glad I get to play a part. But it's not good if we become too dependent just on this moment, um, on being maybe spoon-fed a little bit uh, from someone else. Um, for the church to really flourish, the word, the word of God needs to spill out into our homes, into our family lives, into our friendships, into our workplaces. It needs to get into all the corners of our lives and find plenty of room. Um, one of the things I love, uh, kind of as you read the New Testament, is I think the picture you get of the early church is that this was going on all the time. This speaking of the word to each other in every kind of context and situation. And so just to give you a few examples, um, we read about how parents or to instruct their children in the faith. That's from Ephesians 6. Uh, we read about an encouragement for older women to spend time teaching younger women in Titus 2. Um, one of my favorite examples, we get an older couple called Priscilla and Aquila, and they take into their home a young man called Apollos, who's a really gifted speaker, but lacks grounding in the word, and they invite him into their home so they can do Bible study with him in their house and give him deeper roots for his ministry. Um, or another favorite example, Philip is going on his way and is led by the Spirit into a, a, an encounter with a complete stranger. And he gets into his chariot, and as they ride in the chariot, they open up uh, the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, and they study it together. And so you see the Word of God getting into chariots and homes and um, every part of people's lives. And it says, when the church gathered together in 1 Corinthians 14, whenever they gathered together, each one brought a word to share. Um, and it's very much what we try to practice in our open time on a Sunday morning. It's kind of like a, a pot, a spiritual potluck dinner where everybody brings something and everybody has something to share 
with everybody else because when the word of God dwells richly among us, it's multidirectional. It's from anyone to anyone and it gets everywhere and not just one place or one moment in our week. Um, when I was thinking about this this week, I was really struck by this verse, which I hadn't, I hadn't really spent time with before, where Paul, in writing to the church in Rome, uh, says in chapter 15, verse 14, I am convinced that you yourselves, this is him writing to the ordinary Christians in uh, the church in Rome, you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge, and competent to instruct one another. Isn't that really powerful? Paul has this confidence, um, if, I could, if this is not kind of too grim to put it this way, that if he gets taken out by a chariot the next day, right, on his way somewhere, the church is going to be okay because they are competent to minister the word to each other and to instruct one another and encourage one another and build each other up. Um, and without getting too morbid, it's a, it's a good question always for us to reflect on. If I got taken out by a bus uh, and some of our other leaders got taken out, are we able and confident that we can feed each other by speaking the word of God to each other? Um, so I want you to imagine this together. Let me give you a few examples of what this might look like. Um, imagine, imagine a church like this. And by the way, this is partly true of what MCF already is. And it's also aspirational of what it can be, right? Um, so imagine this. You're praying for an older person in church who you know is struggling with ill health or bereavement or whatever it is. And as you pray for them, you ask God to give you a scripture to encourage that other person. Um, and there's a verse that comes to mind. And so you go and buy a card and you write a message of encouragement and you put the verse in it and you send it off. That is the ministry of the word being worked out in uh, the church. I want you to imagine you're a, you're a mum with young kids uh, and you meet another mum for lunch in, the ca- in Cafe Cinnamon and you share together about the frustrations and challenges and heartaches of parenting and the things that are making you want to tear your hair out and you, you share those things and you encourage one another and you share some of God's promises with each other. And maybe one of you remembers that verse in Isaiah 40 that talks about God being a shepherd who gently leads those who have young. You speak that to each other. You remind each other of that. That's the ministry of the word spilling into our lunches with each other. Um, or imagine you're talking to your teenage son late at night and he's struggling with life at school and some complicated friendships and some hard choices and temptations. And you talk together about how Jesus is with him and all of that and what difference that might make. That's the ministry of the word. You're passing on the message of Jesus in all the spaces of our lives. Or imagine you're not able to come to church at the minute because of health issues, but you know of a friend in church who's in the same situation and you agree to phone each other every other day. And when you do that, you both share how you're doing. You check in with higher things mentally and physically and spiritually. And you share what you read in the Bible that morning and how God is speaking to you through it. That's the ministry of the word down the telephone. Or imagine you play football with some guys who don't know Jesus and after the game there's always time to chat and maybe one of them in particular has been on your heart a lot and maybe one week as you're chatting after football you sense the Spirit giving you a little nudge uh, asking you to be bold and so you ask him would he ever be interested in meeting up 
to study the gospel of Mark with you and talk about Jesus together. And to your surprise, he says yes. Right? That's the ministry of the word spilling out of our containers, getting into all the corners of our lives. Or imagine you're reading your Bible one morning and a particular verse jumps off the page and another person from church immediately comes to mind as you read. And you pick up your phone and you send the person a text and you say, I might be wrong, but I, I sense this morning this verse might be for you. Right? You send it off. That's the ministry of the word, even through text messaging, right? Um, can happen. Um, imagine God speaks to you powerfully through a sermon in church. That can happen too. On a Monday morning, your colleague in work asks how your weekend was and gives the typical anything strange or startling question. Um, and for a minute, you're about to say nothing happened, but then you take a breath and gather your courage and you tell them how God spoke to you on Sunday and how it challenged you and what it meant to you. That's the ministry of the word spilling out into every part of our lives. Um, I think so. You can, you can kind of write your own uh, little imaginings as well, um, take that further. But I think some of that is what it means for the word of Christ to dwell among us. Uh, to be devoted to the apostles' teaching. Um, it doesn't just happen here in this moment on a Sunday morning, but it happens over the kitchen table, over the phone, over coffee with a friend, over lunch with a colleague, over the garden fence to your neighbour, um, gossiping the gospel, whispering the word. I'll stop with the alliteration there. Um, I couldn't find any more. Um, just as a natural part of your life with others. The word gets into every corner of our lives. Um, I wonder, do you agree with me? That's much more powerful than it just being one moment a week when the word gets into all the corners of our lives. And by the way, I'm going off script for a second. For some of us, that will mean we have to get over our slight embarrassment about not wanting to appear too pious or spiritual. Because some of us have this thing about, I don't want to be that person always quoting the Bible or reading the Bible. Um, and of course, we've always got to check in and go, am I doing this just to look spiritual? Right? And that's a bad idea. If that's why we're doing it, don't do it. But if you're wanting to do it to encourage your brother or sister, to love them, to build them up, then we got to get over ourselves. <laughs> because if all we can offer each other is our own best wisdom and advice and help, that ends up being pretty thin soup. But we have at our disposal the word of God, which is living and active and powerful and brings healing and brings transformation and brings liberation and brings salvation. And so I think you and I dare not keep that out of our friendships and relationships. We need, if we have an embarrassment about speaking the word to each other, there may be something there we need to get over. Is that, is that too blunt? Is that all right? No, let's do it. So, um, getting near the end. Um, I hope that kind of encourages and inspires you a wee bit, that picture of a church in which the word dwells richly and is going in every direction. Um, but I want to kind of finish by thinking for a few minutes uh, very practically. Um, how, If we want to be that kind of church, where do we begin? Um, we, we can certainly hope for it and pray for it uh, and run after that, but how do, how do we begin? Um, and I, I want to talk for a few minutes about our habits. Um, because the character of our lives is shaped by our habits. And if we want to be a church with this kind of character, then we're going to need habits that tend in that direction. 
Um, so I want to talk about two things. One, this may be a really good time to form some new habits. And I'm talking specifically about new habits with the Bible. Um, maybe if you're being honest, the Bible doesn't have much place in your daily life. Uh, maybe you used to have that habit, but you've kind of lost the habit, um, got, got weary or, or kind of lost your way a little bit. Uh, maybe you've never really had that habit. Maybe you've always found the Bible intimidating or a struggle uh, to read. Um, I want to really encourage you that this is a really good time to start as we enter a new season, as we're in a strange time in our world. I think this is a really good time to start a new habit with the Bible. Um, and, and I think the key is simplicity. Don't try to be a spiritual hero, uh, especially in the beginning. Um, if you want to become someone who lives and eats and breathes scripture, right? that's what we all want to be. Um, start with a habit you can sustain. Start with 10 minutes a day at a particular time and place. Um, and if you can keep that habit most days, you'll find that your hunger will grow and you may be able to read some more. But start with something simple uh, that you can do and just build it into the fabric of your days. Um, I know I've said this before, uh, but I, I really think it's worth repeating that uh, in our generation, one of the most revolutionary choices you can make, and I think most spiritually transformative, is to start your day with the Bible before your phone. Right? Just as a really simple, practical thing, uh, whenever we start our day by reaching for our phone, we let the world set the agenda. And what gets into our minds as we begin the day, the, the news gives us lots of things to be anxious about, and social media gives us lots of things to be envious of or to get agitated or angry about. And work gives us lots of things to be preoccupied with and stressed about. And even our friends and family can get into our head with all kinds of things. And so I think it's a really simple, powerful thing. Before you touch your phone or go near it, open your Bible and let God set the agenda. Let him tell you who you are and shape your identity rather than all those other voices. Um, and then that scripture that you start the day with can start to infiltrate all the other moments in your day. Um, you know those little moments in your day when you're, that you sometimes don't know what to do with, where you're waiting for the kettle to boil, or you're uh, waiting for a friend who's running late, or you're, you're waiting in the doctor's surgery. Um, and and our, our terrible habit that we've developed as a culture is we can't sit even for three minutes in those situations without grabbing the phone and having a little scroll. Um, and I'm getting kind of grumpier and grumpier about this now for, for myself as well as for you, that we'd be far better doing nothing for those three minutes than reaching for our phone. But even better, what if you can bring to mind as you wait for the kettle to boil the verses you read that morning and you can chew on them a little bit and meditate on them and turn them into prayer and ponder them a little bit. And so the word that we read in the morning can feed us all through the day uh, and get into all the spaces of our day. Um, so I want to encourage you, um, maybe making it really practical, choose one simple daily habit for reading the Bible alone and choose one simple weekly habit where you read the Bible with others. So if you're, you're starting out, if you don't know where to begin, start with something really simple where you read the Bible for yourself alone. And choose one simple weekly habit where you read it with others. And those simple habits and rhythms will start to change the atmosphere of your days. 
uh, and of your home and of your, your life. And if you don't know where to begin with that, um, ask someone you trust and, uh, and know or come and ask me uh, if you're not sure who to talk to. It's a really good time for new habits. I want to also suggest um, it's a really good time to refresh stale habits. Because um, maybe you read the Bible every day. Maybe you're really good at that. You read without fail. And you're, you're really good at the steadfast part of being, being committed and disciplined. But maybe if you're being honest, in recent times, your Bible reading has become a bit flat and a bit stale. You've lost that sense of immediacy of God speaking to you, that sense of his living presence and his living voice. You, you've lost that thing that the psalmist talks about of delighting in the word of God. Right? Um, and of course, there's going to be days when we read the Bible and there's no lightning and there's no drama. I'm not saying we should expect lightning bolts every time, but I do think it's meant to be something refreshing and life-giving and that has delight in it. Um, and so, if that's, if that's where we are, what do we do? Um, we need refreshed and revived. Uh, and of course, the first thing is to ask God to come and revive us for that wind of the Spirit to wake us up, for that fire of the Spirit to set us ablaze again. But I also think we can make practical choices. We can look for fresh ways to engage with Scripture. Um, the Word of God doesn't change, but there are so many ways to read it and engage with it. Um, and God, when he made you, made you with imagination and creativity. And so we don't need to get stuck in a rut. Um, sometimes it may be as simple as trying a different time of day or a different place or even a different translation that might refresh our, our reading of Scripture. Um, but there are lots of ways to read, read and engage with the Bible. And it's good to talk to each other and share our creative ideas for how we do that. Um, just two I wanted, wanted to mention. Um, I loved what Michael Topping shared uh, a few weeks ago in the open time here. Uh, Michael's been painting and decorating part of his house. Uh, and as he's been decorating those hours of painting, he's been listening to David Suchet read him the Bible. Um, I like to think, think it's in the voice of Hercule Poirot, but it's probably not. Um, but he's been listening his way through the Bible as he paints. And Michael talked really powerfully, I thought, about how that is brought scripture alive for him in a new way where he's surrounded by the word of God as he goes about his work. So there's a real that's a really simple thing that's at all of our fingertips. If we're finding it hard, if we need refresh, you could listen to the Bible as you work, as you walk, as you uh, go about your life. Um, second really practical example, uh, we have friends in Dublin uh, who have a monthly gathering of women. Uh, and each month, when they meet together, they, they choose for the next month a short passage of scripture. And, and in between their meetings, each of them memorize the short passage that they're getting together to, to, to look at. Um, and so for the whole month, they are walking around with that little passage and, and learning it by heart and getting it internalized. And when they come together, they share what God has been teaching them as they walked around with the word for the month in between. Um, I think that's a really simple, creative, powerful practice for any group of friends uh, to engage in. Again, it's a little bit different to the way we normally maybe approach our Bible study. Um, maybe that's one we could think about. Um, here's a really controversial suggestion. Um, some of us 
may need to read a little less of the Bible. <laughs> right? Now, what do I mean by that? That sounds, that sounds outrageous. Um, I, I've talked to people in recent weeks who've told me that they're currently watching uh, services from at least three churches on a Sunday uh, as they're enjoying online church. And that's great. I'm not, I'm not speaking against any of these things. Uh, but some of us maybe listen to three sermons on a Sunday and are in several Bible study groups and are trying to read the Bible in a year and also listen to podcasts and also read Christian books. And in the course of a week, we're, we're trying to get good stuff in, but we can actually end up with a kind of spiritual indigestion where we're taking in more than we can actually digest and get the good out of. Uh, we're not actually getting the good out of what we're reading. At the end of the week, we can't remember anything that we've been bom bombarded with. And so for some of us, we could actually do with reading a little less and reading a little slower. And maybe choosing a passage and camping there for a while and chewing on it and meditating on it and carrying it around and turning it into prayer and turning it into action before we rush on to the next Bible study. Uh, so I hope that makes sense. Maybe the first time you've been told in church to read less Bible. But for some of us, maybe we could do with just slowing down a little bit. Um, so I want to encourage you, maybe this is a good time to refresh stale habits. Um, here's where I want to finish. Um, in all of this, as we think about the word of God dwelling richly among us and going in every direction into all the spaces of our lives, as we think about maybe our habits and maybe starting some new habits and maybe refreshing some old ones. Um, really good to always remember, what is the goal in all of this? In all of our Bible reading, Bible study, Bible uh, knowledge that we seek to gain. Um, and I think very simply it's this. It's becoming like Jesus and bearing good fruit. Right? That's the goal. Um, and so in Acts 2, this early church that started out um, devoted to the apostles' teaching. If you read on the verses that follow, they became this beautiful community full of radical generosity, sharing everything they had with each other, full of joy and gladness, which was evident to everybody around them, so that actually outsiders were drawn in and the Lord was adding to their number daily, those who were being saved. And I think a lot of that was to do with there was something infectious and contagious and attractive and beautiful about their lives. Because when the word of God dwelled in them richly, it made them like Jesus. right? And it bore fruit. Um, and I think for you and I, um, we always need to keep remembering that that is the goal. Because when we make Bible reading and Bible study and Bible knowledge an end in itself, it can actually do us harm. It can actually make us unwell. It makes us proud and puffed up what the Apostle Paul says. And we become actually the opposite of generous and joyful. We become narrow. We become critical. We become harsh. We become grumpy. Um, the Bible can do that to us. That's the way of the Pharisees who diligently searched the scriptures, but it didn't bring them to Jesus. They didn't become like Jesus. It didn't bear good fruit. It actually ends up pushing people away from Jesus and the church. Um, and so it's a good, it's a good kind of warning to finish on to just regularly do a health check on our Bible reading and ask, is it leading to an encounter with the living God that is changing me to become more like Jesus and bearing good fruit? 
uh, when the message of Jesus really dwells among us, we'll be filled with the fruit of the Spirit. We'll be like a tree planted by streams of water bearing fruit in season. Right? We'll be trained in righteousness and equipped for every good work. That's what scripture is for. To actually make our lives fruitful and like Jesus in that way. Um, so I think that's a good, hopefully, uh, warning at the end and encouragement at the end. Is to keep remembering the goal uh, as we as we read the Bible and uh, and speak it to each other in all these ways. So let's pray together as we finish, and then we're going to sing uh, just to end our service. Father, we want to just say out loud to you. Um, that it's the desire of our heart uh, as, as a church, as a fellowship of people who love you. Um, it's our desire that we would be this kind of church where the, the word of Christ, the message of Jesus, dwells among us richly. Um, we don't want to just know the Bible in our heads, but we want it to have the run of the house. We want it to get into our hearts. We want it to get into our feet and into our hands, and into our relationships, and into our work, and into our families. Father, we thank you for your word, which is living and active, which is sharper than a two-edged sword, which cuts to the heart of the matter, um, which makes us alive, which makes us well, which brings salvation. Father, help us never to take it for granted. Um, Father, thank you for this enormous privilege that every single one of us get to minister the word to each other. Uh, we get to speak uh, the good news of the Bible to each other over the phone and over lunch and in our workplaces and wherever we go. Father, I pray you would you would give us more and more opportunity to do that and courage to do that. Father, help each of us to know how we can form daily and weekly habits so that the word of God gets into our minds and our hearts and our imaginations and into our lives. And Father, most of all, help us to keep remembering the goal that we want to become like Jesus. We want our lives to be full of his beauty and full of the fruit of his spirit, um, drawing other people to his light through the, the beauty that is in our lives that you have put there. And so we pray that all of our Bible engagement would bear fruit in those ways in our lives. And we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.